Today's guest, Janan Matari, CEO of Zaytun Publicity and TEDx speaker. Your first public speaking <laughs> yeah. appearance was a TED Talk? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, let me go lift for the first time at the Olympics. I am from Palestine, and this is what's happening to my family. This is what happened to us in 1948. Just because we're a part of the diaspora doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play in our collective freedom. You left the corporate world. Were you forced out? It was a choice, but it was a choice with my back up against the wall. It's like a Zionist choice, right? <laughs> yeah. It was like... Like you want to die, you want to leave. <laughs> right. They were putting their business first. And I got to put my morals and my family and like my existence first. I didn't want to leave completely. I just needed to do it on my own terms. Founded Zaytun Publicity. It specializes in representing BIPOC founders, entrepreneurs, artists, influencers, getting them the media coverage that they deserve. I started having yeah. really cool dreams. We got to talk about dreams. <laughs> MLK I mean... Juniors in particular. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram, and you can call me Mikey Intifada if you're upset that Big Thief canceled on Even Bigger Thieves. <laughs> Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and give us a follow on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Find us also on Patreon, where you get early access to the Palestine Pod episodes, an additional one to two podcasts per week, including the Patreon Pod. It's a little more laid back. We talk politics, Palestine, pop culture, and get a little more personal. We're also hosting our monthly Zoom happy hours for Patreon subscribers only. So really exciting stuff. Check us out on patreon.com slash Palestine Pod. Today's guest is Janan Matari. She's a two-time award-winning Palestinian storyteller and TEDx speaker. She is CEO of Zaytun Publicity. And Janan has a BA in journalism and media studies and is a first-generation Palestinian Brazilian American. Janan, welcome to the Palestine Pod. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. We're so happy to have you. We're such big fans of your work. Likewise. Yes. I was just going to say, I'm such a huge fan of the podcast, of you both individually. Oh, thanks. Um, I'm super pumped for this conversation. I love it when guests say that. I don't know why, but <laughs> it's so nice. <laughs> I mean, Everybody yeah. loves a good compliment. Yeah. Yeah. No, but like, I don't know. It would have been fine either way if you'd seen the podcast or not. <laughs> no but like, <laughs> yeah, Some people I'm... show up and they're like, are we filming this? Like, we... <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> Do Dr. Nora Erekat was like, your name is Michael, right? <laughs> that actually did happen. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> I'm friends with your nephew. No big deal. <laughs> I don't know. What do you want to get into first? You want to tell us about... TEDx? Do you want to tell us about Zaytun? Do you want to tell us about your your social media activism, what you're doing on social media? Because that also has been like pretty recent for you only in like the last year or so, right? Mm -hmm. Or Yeah. 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 What do you you've want been, to talk about? Let's you've been popping off with videos. So the floor <laughs> yeah. is yours. The floor is yours. You can take this any direct. I mean, we want oh, to talk about it all, okay. but like, what do you want to get into first? Okay. I mean, I think it's all kind of interconnected. Not kind of, it absolutely is all interconnected. So I can go in like timeline order if we want, which would be me starting off with the TED Talk. Yeah, let's do that. Tell us about how a Palestinian American 
girl gets invited to do a TED talk? So it was actually a old boss of mine who was on like a volunteer type board for the TED conference. And it was about the concept of identity. And it was, you know, I was still, we talked about how, you know, Miss Muslim is, is still around, but it's kind of on the back burner right now. A lot of my writings for Miss Muslim had to do around the concept of identity. It was more so about being Arab and Muslim than specifically Palestinian, because I just hadn't found my voice yet as a Palestinian woman. She told me that I should apply to this conference because it's, identity, the whole concept of, of, you know, the theme of the talk was about identity. I did. And I, I planned on only talking about being Muslim in America. And of course, you know, Palestine like snuck its way in there. It was a really interesting and a lot more of a daunting process than I knew about. Like there were three rounds of auditions. After you were accepted, you had maybe four or five months of coaching until the actual conference happened. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was they, really co- they coach you. They coach you. Yeah. So they have, they set you up, they set each speaker up with a speaking coach and they give you tips on how, you know, everything is, you're not reading from note cards. So this was like one of my first public speaking experiences. And it was a total, like throw me into the water and see if I sink or float kind of thing. Your first Um, public speaking appearance was a TED talk. Yeah, yeah. Hey, let me go lift for the first time at the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let me yeah. let me go dive off that high board for the first yeah. time. Yeah, no, that's literally what it was. And so uh like to not have had like a speech to read off of or note card, like I was so freaked out about having to memorize things and forgetting my speech that I think that that you know, that's what I was more focused on. But um, yeah, that that panic that sets in when you do forget your speech is one of the most palpable fears in existence. I'll tell you, I will never do it again. Like people, the conference has actually asked if I would come back and give like more speeches on the same type of theme, but like, you know, a little bit more advanced. And I've, I've just straight up said no, like I can never do that again in my life because yeah. Cause you want to go out while you're on top. Like yeah, imagine if you go on and you do the third TED talk and then you forget the whole thing. Nobody will yeah. remember the first two. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, hey, I'm, I'm also turning down gigs. I just did pa rump Nevada. Never again. Uh, I don't even know where that is. So, and that's... you shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> You're better off for never having heard of it. Okay. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I had switched speaking coaches halfway through the training process because one of them had a problem with what I was saying about Palestine. Zionist. Yeah. And so, and Tell it was us like, about it was, that. I'm pretty sure she was like an evangelical Zionist. It wasn't even like, you know. Like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait. The, the yeah. most disgusting. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. So they were like, was she trying to coach you like those televangelists? Like, he told me she... that I needed to take it out of my speech, that it was too political and that it was inappropriate. And I basically fought back. Mind you, it was like, I had two lines about Palestine. You saw it. So, like, there yeah. was literally one or two sentences about Palestine. And um, Ted, Ted Talks famously <laughs> apolitical, right? right <laughs> famously yeah. staying away from politics, Ted yeah. Talks. Yeah, right. And then you have me, an Arab Muslim woman, come on to talk about identity. Like, where did you think that was going? Yeah, she uh, thought it was going to be apolitical. Yeah. And so, I mean, the, the extent of what I said was basically like, people tell me that my identity and my like my 
place, my my ancestral place of birth, like does not exist, and it was something along that concept. And she was like, "This is too political. You have to take it out. We're not, you know, it's not appropriate." And I like went back and forth with her a little bit via email, and then finally, I just went to the head of the conference and was like, "Listen, you asked me to talk about identity. This is my identity. So you either get this part." in the speech or you don't get the speech at all. They switched me right away. They were very apologetic. The The conference itself was absolutely incredible. The feedback was amazing. All the other coaches, the judges, everybody that I worked with, aside from that one woman that I was assigned to, was really, really wonderful. And immediately they switched me to a different speaking coach who was really great. She was an Asian American. So she like totally understood the concept of identity and how important it was to talk about the truth first bout of experience with like I don't think I understood they were trying to censor me yeah Yeah. I just because I think we've internalized this so much that it's like normal so we self-censor for sure Yeah. yeah and so that was my first time where I like pushed back on the don't talk about Palestine thing so that is where I guess that was like my first experience with somebody actually trying to censor me and like me not allowing it took a little bit to progress to where I am now and by a little bit I mean like four or five years we all crawl (laughs) before we learn to walk yeah yeah but again like I'm I keep in touch with everybody from the conference and it was a really wonderful experience the feedback that I got from the audience afterwards was incredible people of you know various ethnic identities religious identities were coming up after the conference and just saying how much my speech resonated with them. And so it really gave me the confidence that I was kind of on the right path with choosing to talk more about this theme in everything that I do. And it's like funny because it's in line with that joke about like, if you've ever met a Palestinian, you know, well, make sure you always know that they're Palestinian. (laughs) It's like all we have. And it really has like just become my entire existence, like making sure people know that I am from Palestine and this is what's happening to my family. This is what happened to us in 1948. And so it just kind of spiraled from there. Palestinians in the diaspora just sprouted olive trees and like started informing everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's about time that we did that. I, I'm guilty of having, like you talked about Lara self-censoring for years because especially when it comes to our grandparents and our parents who, you know, were raised here as immigrants and refugees and like, it was a form of security Hey, um, hey, you had two speaking coaches. None of them told you to speak into the mic. Come on, fam. <laughs> Still? But, I'm like, I'm trying yeah. to hold it here. <laughs> no, it's like, it's like, y'all, y'all are like Goldilocks. You know what I mean? Like, she's too close. You're too far. Like, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it, like, for years, it was don't talk about Palestine because you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your friends. You're going to ruin our family name. And and they're not wrong, right? Like, that's exactly what's happened to us. And that's essentially what happened to me. I had to leave the corporate working world because it just started to conflict too much with my morals and what I felt was more important than a steady paycheck. And so it's, it's not to say that that fear that, you know, our families lived in was wrong, just took our generation a little bit to understand that like we really need to do so like just because we're a part of the diaspora and not living under occupation every single day doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play in our collective freedom so and this is the way sprouting those olive trees i guess is the way we do it sheesh that's gonna be a clip <laughs> so when you say that you left the corporate world were you forced out or was it a choice um, it was a 
it was a choice, but it was like a choice with my back up against the wall, if that makes sense. It was like, okay, a, it, was like a, it was like a Zionist choice, right? <laughs> yeah. It was like, yeah. you want to die, you want to leave. <laughs> right. yeah. I think we underestimate how much people don't understand and how much fear even non-Zionists live in about this topic and how much it controls American business and, and way of life. And so I don't fault anybody. I mean, of course, like some conversations are uncomfortable to have with an employer, but I, I don't fault anyone or hold ill will towards anybody because they just didn't understand and they were putting their business first. And I was like, you know what, I gotta, I gotta put my morals and my family and like my existence first. Like, I don't want to keep doing this anymore. It was, it was a decision on my part to leave because I had finally accepted that if I wanted to talk about Palestine and who I am as a person, the way that I wanted to, and the way that I felt was truly respecting my identity and, and my lineage, I couldn't do it while working for someone else. The Palestinian author, Suzanne Abul Hawa, lived a very similar thing. And she was actually forced out of the corporate world just because of her activism and her being Palestinian and leaning into her Palestinian identity. And then mm -hmm. she became this very accomplished author who wrote Mornings in Janine and has written several books since then and really leaned into her Palestinian identity and, and embraced it. So, you know, so many good things can come out of that. Actually. Yeah. And yeah, think, absolutely. Yeah. Nothing bad can come out of honoring yourself. Right. For sure. Yeah. Wow. Um, you speak so, in like, you speak in like uh, poems almost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you writing haikus over there? What's going on? Where's your notebook at? Well, I have a degree in media, so yeah. <laughs> naturally my brain thinks in headlines and I speak in sound bites. You're very clippable. Yeah. <laughs> I see why they gave you a TED talk, you know? Yeah, like I want to, there's so many things I want to say, like, how do you go? Okay. So you go from two lines in a TED talk about Palestine to leaving the corporate world. Mm -hmm to exploding on social media, very focused on Palestine, yeah. to Zaytun publicity. Tell us about that. Mm -hmm. Tell us about how you come up with your content, what what message you're trying to, to get across as a Palestinian mm -hmm. in this, you know, space of the internet. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Zaytun was my way of honoring my degree. I went to school for journalism and for media, and I'm I'm really good at it. And so I didn't want to leave completely. I just needed to do it on my own terms. And so I founded Zaytun Publicity, which is an agency that specializes in representing BIPOC founders, entrepreneurs, artists, influencers, getting them the media coverage that they deserve. Because something that I have learned in my 10 plus years in the industry is that like anything else, like any other workforce it is biased it is geared towards white people it is geared towards rich white people if you don't have generational wealth you know as an entrepreneur pr is something that is absolutely out of your budget it's not something that you can afford and so it really keeps these brown and black founders and their brands at a disadvantage their white counterparts because they don't get the media exposure and they have incredible stories right like when have you ever seen a brand owned by a person of color that didn't have some like insane sob story that like tugged at your heartstrings but nobody gets to hear them because they don't have the money and so i wanted to change that and i wanted to use my own experience in the industry to make an impact and so that was actually one of the awards that i had won at my last agency was for representing, you know, the Muslim 
Arab Asian community in some of the campaigns I was running. So can you give us an idea? I mean, for our listeners, I think they'll be super interested to know tangibly what that work looks like. What does a client come to you and ask for? How do you help them? What are some of what is some of the work product and, and results and, and impact that somebody who hires you can can hope for or expect? Like the public relations side, it's helping a brand and a founder create their story. You can get something that the media really wants to bite into and and, and share. And so that's getting placements about who they are, what their company does, if you're product-based, what you're selling, how it's solving some type of gap or issue, you know, that's getting features in magazines like Forbes, Cosmopolitan, Allure. And then on the influencer side, it's getting people brand partnerships. So that was another thing that I noticed. The influencer portion of my agency is definitely newer than the public relations side. I think I'm like preparing for the death of PR because people are getting really smart and they understand that like all of the information you are consuming is being paid for and fed to you. And so because of that, I think PR specialists really need to prepare for what's next. Two things. This is getting dangerously close to capitalism. I'm over here making a Molotov cocktail. (laughs) And also, can you provide us with any brand deals? Right. I yeah. knew you were gonna ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see, like you, you see the sponsors. duality. You see how I have, yeah, sponsors. <laughs> yeah. We're looking for money. Yeah. You know what yeah. is so funny? We always said we would never put ads in the Palestine pod. We'd never do weird, you know, make people pay for it, whatever. Yeah. But what we're not against is sponsors with people who we believe in and care about and yeah, are related yeah. to our cause. Yes. Yeah. And that's why we would like a partnership with Nike. <laughs> have you seen all those tweets about like capitalism during pride month where, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, i'm a black queer woman and i had trouble coming out of the closet and that's why i partnered with ikea for pride yeah. month yeah yeah big uh, closets at ikea yeah yeah um yeah, no, I mean, listen, man, for, for as much as we all shit on capitalism, there's a reason why our parents came to this country and it's in order to survive, you also have to make money. So <laughs> I get it. Well, for a lot of Palestinians, it's because they were kicked out of Palestine. Right. It was, yeah. you know, <laughs> they didn't have anywhere else to go. So they. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm so sorry that I laughed at that. That was very funny, though, <laughs> the way you said it. <laughs> I'm learning, Michael. I'm learning. Yeah, damn. You are getting good at this shit. You're spending too much time around me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so is this too is this too like advertising? Do you want me to cut back on the Zaytun thing? Oh no, no I was just joking. I just make jokes on the pod sometimes. No, no, that's good. Okay. It's important for us to be good at selling ourselves. Yes. Yeah. That's that goes without saying. Zionists are have been. Very good at their PR. Mm-hmm. You can't say that that's million, not true. How did they get? How did they? How were they yeah. able to perpetuate this myth and have it be believed by the world that there was nobody in Palestine? Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. there's literally eight million Palestinian refugees, and yeah. that's a fact. Yeah. Yeah. It was one so, of the strongest <laughs> branding campaigns of like misinformation and disinformation that exists today. Yeah, it's still, I mean, Israel's PR machine is something that is absolutely unmatched anywhere else in the world. Um, Sorry, 
that's probably them them calling you huh? yeah. they're like <laughs> they're like we've got a job yeah. <laughs> that's part of the reason why i went into the industry i took a I, part of my story not to like backtrack but like i took a course on social psychology when i was studying abroad in england realized like how effed up the world was how world war ii was like this insane pr machine that got people on board and and i was like holy shit you can literally control people's minds through media and as a pr specialist it's important that people because people downplay the impact of public relations you can literally control the world through public relations good or bad and so it's important not to discredit that and so going back to the whole like it's very unequal there is no equity in the industry that's not an accident that's on purpose so when it comes to you know representing influencers who are of backgrounds of color like you can see there's a clear disparity in the way that they are managed like you have these take like food bloggers for instance right you have these fun cute white foodies who are like home chefs getting deals for thirty, fifty thousand dollars a reel but like when I was running a campaign for Ramadan, trying to get like Muslim influencers on board, they were all representing themselves. They were selling themselves short for like $700 for a reel when they've got like twice as many followers and twice as much, you know, engagement as their white counterparts. And so it, like, we just need somebody from our own community to kind of step in and be like, this is what I'm seeing. This is what you need to be doing. I will help you. I'm taking a, you know, financial hit myself, but like at the end of the day, I'm doing something that's great for my community and it will benefit everybody. And that's, I mean, I think that's a duty of anybody on this planet is to like sacrifice something for yourself and give back to, you know, the communities that need it. Especially oh yeah. Yeah, we understand that this pod is not a money maker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's your passion. So you Any, anybody who who accuses us of getting in this game for financial gain is bugged. Dude, remember, remember, like <laughs> early on. Yeah, of course I remember that psycho. There was one yeah. girl yeah. who like hated me and like kept commenting on all of our things. Like he's just in it for the money, and I was like. <laughs> I've lost so much money caring about yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what Miss Muslim was. I was hemorrhaging money keeping yeah, that yeah, website yeah. alive. But I was like, you know what? I got an email four years ago from a woman who told me this article changed her life. I have to keep yes. it alive. That's literally what keeps us going. The yeah. Emails, yeah. The, the positive emails we get. It's the yeah. only currency that's stable in our lives. Yeah. The dollar is going to collapse at any time. Yeah. yeah. But that's so, for everyone in the world. So Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, it's funny how people, like, it's important to remind people that you're not profiting off of things like this, right? Because it changes their perspective. It gets them to listen a little bit more. It kind of cuts back on their judgment because they're not quick to be like, well, he's just saying this because he, you know, this is how he's going to get money. No, like, this is as independent as independent yeah, can be, yeah. which is you just. That said, we'd love to get some money coming in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to fix the hemorrhage. Yeah. 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 We, not to... <laughs> we are deep yeah. underground. We're yeah. like in solidarity with Gaza in the tunnel that we've built <laughs> underground on this spot. There is a difference between cutting your losses, Michael, and, you know, and profiting, right? Yeah. yeah. We're just trying to get back to zero. 
So, yeah, I get it. I get it. He's it's trying just, to get above ground. <laughs> it's a, it's a struggle. I can't even, I can't comment on any like public forum or like news outlets, Instagram, because people see, like, I, I'll never forget. There was somebody who, it was one of those like feel good Instagram accounts and somebody hate those hate to feel good (laughs) somebody was losing their housing and they were posting about it and they posted about their story and i just commented like this is so sad like is there a way that we can help them is there a gofundme that you know somebody can start and i was flooded with message because i have that fucking blue check mark on my oh yeah people were like why don't you just pay for his house like (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I'll pay for my own house first. Like, the like yeah. they just immediately associate large. They, they think you're Kim Kardashian. They're like, yeah. well, she's got like a blue check mark. So yeah, like so it's. I get it. I get the the whole judgment thing and people thinking that you're in it for the wrong reasons. So yeah, must be tough having that blue check. <laughs> <laughs> don't take it away. Not that I'm complaining. <laughs> What a more of a burden than anything else, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the blue check, back. the blue check burden. <laughs> yeah. I'm just back to self censoring because of it. <laughs> uh. Hilarious. Tell us about Palestine and your your family's origins. So both of my families have Palestinian origins. My dad's mother is Brazilian. So that's where the Brazil comes in. My grandfather, God rest his soul, was 100% indigenous Palestinian. I still have family in Palestine. And my mom's family, um, both my grandparents are Palestinian. My grandfather is from Ayn Kadam, which I'm sure you know no longer exists. And my mother's mother's family is from Jerusalem. So they go back to the original Sufis that came over from Bukhara, Uzbekistan in like the 1300s, settled in in Palestine and and kind of spread the teachings of Sufism since then. And so it's really cool. I have a a cousin that's a famous Sufi chef that's still there. Sorry. A Sufi chef? Sufi chef. Yeah. I'm sure that's not the right term, but yeah, he's a chef. Is that that, uh, different than like a sous chef or? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So he teaches about, so my family, my mom's family like ran a, do you know what Sufism is? Is Am I just like? Of course. Sufism. Yes. I know what Sufism is. All right. But for our listeners. (laughs) (laughs) For our listeners. Um. So Sufism is a branch, depending on who you talk to, it's argued, but it's a a branch of Islam that is very mystical. And so my grandmother's family were like my great, great, great grandfather was a Sufi sheikh in Jerusalem Mm -hmm. in uh, the 1920s. He was part of like a National Geographic. um, What's his name? Yaqub Bukhari. Huh. Yeah. He was super handsome. <laughs> I'll send you a photo. It's cool. I have like a 1927 edition of National Geographic. They did like a whole feature on Palestine and they went through all of the different faiths and highlighted like the important people at the time. And so in there with this beautiful, you know, robe and his turban and really cool piece of like family history. So my, my cousin is a, obviously a descendant of that part of the family also. And so he's kind of keep 
keeping that like teaching of Sufism tradition alive. And he's teaching people about how Sufism influenced Palestinian food. A lot of like vegetarian veganism. I'm pretty sure it's metluba was like the the dish that actually was heavily influenced by Sufism and veganism. And it was started off as a vegan dish. And then like we actually changed it and started incorporating like chicken or, or meat or some type of lamb. So he's, he's just really cool. He, you know, his name is, um, is the Dean Bukhari. He tours in Jerusalem, which is super cool. And he talks about the history of food from an indigenous standpoint of, you know, Palestinian perspective, Sufism perspective and how it's all kind of connected together. So, so I think I found an article about your family Oh, cool. Probably. <laughs> yeah. In the Institute for Palestine Studies. Yeah. 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 You, yeah okay. So yeah. So th- there's a reference to your great, great grandfather arriving in Jerusalem from Bukhara, Uzbekistan and Yaqub Rashid al-Bukhari. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. We'll link to that on our website when we, when, so he was part of the yeah. Naqshbandi Tariqa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 This is and Naqshbandi is um, in Arabic means, well, it's it comes from the words for carving and heart. So oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I, I guess there's that. a connection there to, I guess, imprinting or carving God in your heart. It's very mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. We they will... founded a center. It's on the street, the Via del Rosa in... Hey. Islam and it's uh, it was a Sufi center and so Sufis from all over the world would come had like a guest book that they would write in and it was it was a really just awesome way that they would spread the tradition and teach people about Sufism and all that good stuff. When you say mysticism, what do you mean? They're mystics, very spiritual. They like magic? No. No, not magic. Uh, It's it's like um I'm they're sorry if that very, was ignorant. I'm so no, sorry. No, no, it's just they're they're very like grounded in their spirituality. It's more it's more a spiritual practice of Islam than the usual like rule driven kind of way that we. Well, a lot of on. people, a lot of people today would actually argue that proper Islam is both the rules and the rituals and mm-hmm. also the spiritual element, but that the spiritual element of Islam has been erased from the practice of Islam through the colonization of Islam. And this will yes. take us in a very yes. this is a totally direction. different conversation. I don't know if you, uh, if you ever um, read professor Butch Ware from university of California, Santa Barbara, mm-hmm. he talks a lot about the colonization of Islam and how the message of Islam was essentially co-opted by Western colonial powers and rebranded and sold back to Muslims as something that it's not. And one of the things that they did was they deleted Sufism from Orthodox Islam yeah. because yeah. Sufism, the Sufi element, the Sufi practice was what was liberating Muslims and making them impossible to control as mm-hmm. a colonial subject. Yeah. So they said, no, 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 Sufism is hereticism. It has nothing to do with Islam. And that came from these early Muslims rulers that were collaborating with colonial powers to rewrite essentially the message of the religion. They didn't rewrite the Quran or anything, but they rewrote the way that the religion was understood by its followers. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Hey, rebranding the religion and using it as a cover for Western colonialism. That sounds kind of similar. 
<laughs> <laughs> Where have we heard that story before? Yeah. No, it's, it's cool. I'm excited to have that conversation with you because yeah. I'm always fascinated by it. And I, you know, like my mom and my grandma, like my grandma reads the coffee grounds. My mom has these really cool dreams. My aunt has these cool dreams. Yes. I started having yeah. really cool dreams. And so it's kind of cool to like trace it back to this lineage um, sure. that was kind of forgotten. So we have yeah. to talk about dreams. Yeah. We got to talk about dreams. <laughs> Dude. MLK I mean, Juniors in particular. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have that conversation, Danan. I love that you know your family's origin going back literally hundreds of years. Like, you know who your ancestors are. Yeah. You know, when I talk to my grandparents, they're like, we've been here since forever. So, you know, my mom was here and her mom was here, but everybody, we've all been here, but yeah. it's not like I can tell you that, okay, in, you know, the 1300s, this was my ancestor. I'm sure right. somebody in my family can do that. Yeah. I just don't have that information. So it's, it's only my-, my maternal grand, like it's only my maternal grandmother. Everybody else is very like, like that where it's like, I don't know, like my grandfather from Encatum has just been in Encatum forever. Yeah. Like no idea how they <laughs> like, just sprouted up from the ground, like indigenous Palestinians and yeah. born of the soil. Yeah. Hey man, that's what it was. Yeah. So like, I feel very lucky, but also guilty that I don't have that knowledge of like the other parts of my family, but still very blessed and grateful that I but have it. Also, that's why we do this now because mm-hmm. we are creating the public record. Yes. And we are imprinting it and making it permanent. Hopefully the internet will still exist after mm-hmm. the apocalypse. So when, <laughs> you know, the world ends and everybody's, you know, our descendants are trying to figure out, you know, where are my ancestors from? Somebody yeah. will be like, well, in 2022, you know, Janan was on the Palestine pod and she said that <laughs> in the third so. In the 1300s, that uh, you know, her family yeah. was in Palestine, and you know, all this good yeah. stuff. So. It's so. like it's like cockroaches listening to a pot around the bonfire. These <laughs> <laughs> stupid humans tracing back their lineage. It's important, though. I really think it's important because, especially for Palestinians in exile, because it's so easy to lose ourselves and our yeah. identities if we don't try to hold on to them and, and to do everything that we can to keep them, you know, at the forefront of our lived experience. Yeah. I mean, that's what Zionists are banking on, right. That we just kind of assimilate and forget. Mm -hmm. They're West banking on it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry guys. I don't know what's wrong with me today. (laughs) Like a tick. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Usually I could like shut it off, but today it's like let's be the vibe that I'm giving off. Michael, do you have any questions? Yeah, so we came up together on TikTok, and then like you started popping off on Instagram as well with your reels and stuff. What are some of the craziest interactions you've had with Zionists online? I mean, I just go on like a blocking spree now because I'm like, I just can't. Aside from it being like, I cannot have my energy focused on this. It's also like. I'm a normal human being that also has a family and I need to make sure that these people cannot see any of that coming up on the internet has definitely been a blessing and also kind of nerve wracking just as a mom, because they're not light subjects that I'm cover. I mean, I'm making things funny because you have to laugh through your pain. There's a very, very fine line of like, when does this get dangerous? And when should I like 
stop and really think about what I'm doing. Dangerous in the way that like, all right, whatever, I gave up my career. Like, what are these people actually hunting me in real life? Like, do I need to be concerned for that's why I don't don't tell anybody where I live. I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not the person that like checks in online. Like you're never going to know where I am until like <laughs> two weeks after I've left. And so, yeah, it's a very, that's, a, that's something that I definitely still struggle with is like, am I, am I actually putting my family in danger? Am I doing what my parents were like always concerned with just by literally existing? Like I, I, there are a handful of reels where I've, sure, I've taunted the Zionists, where I've made, like, comedic content about them, just to show people, like, what I'm dealing with, right? Like, because I'm not going to let it go unnoticed. But for the most part, all of my content is, like, about Palestinian culture, about identity, about my existence, about my family, about food. But we know people. that that yeah. alone is enough to make Zionists yeah, infuriated. Yeah. And so, uh, it, like, it's, that's the kind of stuff that keeps me going where I'm like, I'm literally just talking about who I am. So if this is really pissing you off, you must have nothing better to do. Cause I know that there are people who are way more important than I am and way more impactful than I am for you to be coming after me. They've got a big budget. Oh yeah, they do. Yeah. They all get paid for. Yeah. Yeah. yeah There's no, really no fish too small <laughs> for them because I remember when I started making videos, I had no followers on TikTok. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like truly the Zionists lifted me up because nobody would have known who I was if the Zionists weren't absolutely bugging out over my videos. And then all of a sudden Palestinians were like, oh, this is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, okay. So you are like real brave to keep going on TikTok. I don't touch TikTok. Oh, um, yeah. I mostly yeah. just upload like clips of the pod and occasionally I'll do videos if something is like, you know, yeah. I made a video about Shireen, but I, I all rare, of it is Zionist bots or yeah. like these crazy, like I can't even keep up with it. At what point do you just realize that you're blocking the entirety of the app? And so that's yeah. why I've kind of stuck to Instagram and really like made that my thing. I, I feel like there are more meaningful conversations that have happened on that app. I don't disagree with you, but in yeah. the same way that you're talking about how, you know, we need PR specifically for Palestine. Like we need people on TikTok on holding TikTok. it down because yeah. Yeah. Zionists are running amok on that app. Yeah, it's insane. It's like it's totally unchecked. Like yeah, at least Instagram, sometimes they check it. Like occasionally, it is but not a, even still. We're having issues with Instagram right now, even yeah. in our back channels. So I understand. I used to not want to post, and I'm a public performer, so I kind of have mm -hmm. to like promote the shows that I'm doing. I used yeah. to be like you know hesitant about posting where I was going to be, and now I just put up my full schedule, and I dare them to show up. And yeah good for you they almost yeah. and, but i mean i understand that's the privilege yeah. that i have as like a man i don't have any kids you yeah, know what I mean? yeah. like i know how to fight you know like i'm not <laughs> i'm in a different position than you are who said uh, i don't know how to fight <laughs> well i didn't i don't say i'm not saying you didn't but i also don't have kids so i was yeah. just <laughs> now uh, like at a, at a pro if i'm going to a protest or something related to like a palestinian event i will post where i am but i don't because i also share like my personal life right like yeah. that's that's kind of how I was able to grow my platform was that yeah. I really I kind of humanized myself for people and I showed them the good, the ugly, the pretty, the exciting, the boring parts of like not just being Palestinian Muslim, but like being a mom, being a wife, having a really big family, having my own business, being a career woman, like I've just given them access to all of it. The, so The type of beauty to drive someone insane. Living up to the name. <laughs> 
I want to go back to something you said about how you're like, well, I only, you know, taunted the Zionists like a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. You're allowed to talk yeah. to people who stole your land and made yeah. you refugees. You're allowed yeah. to verbally, you know, disagree with that. Yeah. Like the notion that that is somehow something that is more serious than the original crime, which was murdering us, right? arresting us, expelling yeah. us from our land, us. displacing yeah. us, taking our homes, raping our women, stealing our children. Like the notion that we're not allowed to have a verbal yeah. issue that, with that. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. We, that we're not allowed to comment yeah. on that. Yeah. It's, they really are so spineless because it's like. It's a form you, of fragility. Yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> murder people, but you get upset when people are like, they treat people differently. Yeah. It's, I mean, again, par- like leaving the corporate world and starting my own business absolutely gave me the balls to like go at these people when I want to, because in any other, like it results in you losing your job. So like that's how, and that's, and they know that, right. They'll, they'll dox you. They're like the original doxers. Yeah. Truly. I, I, you know, I think I, I've, I've always, I say it often on, on on the show, but you should be allowed to say what happened to you. Like you should be allowed to say this happened to my family. You should be allowed to Mm -hmm. say, I don't live in Palestine because my land was occupied because our land was stolen. No, I mean, I, I think it's really, I think it's really awesome. The like variety of people that you interview. Cause it's like, I, I always go into things with like the disclaimer of I'm not a historian. I'm not a politician. I'm not like, I'm not here to talk about that. Like I talk about identity. I talk about like who I am, what my family is. And so I think that that's a really important like topic that just kind of gets overlooked is where Palestinians in the diaspora get to share their stories and they're they're discounted a lot because like I said we're not there we gaslight ourselves into thinking that our stories aren't important or that we're not a part of the struggle for liberation and so I think it's always really awesome when people take time to you know interview or have conversations with just like normal people because we kind of discredit the impact that we can make yeah. Yeah. It's very much, I mean, for us, it's very much about the like experience as a whole and the mm-hmm. perspectives as a whole. So yeah. it's important for us to talk to Palestinians on the ground to the extent that we have access to them and that they want to come on. And that, you know, obviously we're an English language podcast. So sometimes language can be an issue, but yeah. we want to talk to Palestinians on the ground and we do. We want to talk to Palestinians in exile and we do. And we want to talk to people who are doing this just on social media and who don't have any, you know, scholarly training, but we also want to talk to scholars and we do cover as many bases as possible, but still deliver it in this way that is appealing to people. I think like uh, oftentimes the scholarly world lives in its own world. Mm -hmm. And then like the TikTok world lives in its own world. And it's like, well, how do you get those two people? How do you get the scholars on TikTok? (laughs) That's not what I'm trying to say either. Because I don't want the scholars on TikTok. Dr. Noam Chomsky (laughs) on TikTok. Yeah, I mean, it's look, it's a work in progress. But all of it is, yeah. I think always, I think yeah. we've just started this work. I think that's also yeah. something important to recognize is that for as much progress as we've made about Palestine and getting ourselves into mainstream media and content, like we're still very behind. We just started doing this, and so we got to give ourselves grace and know that we're going to screw up 
when we're learning and that's okay. And as you know, we joke about how you keep cracking jokes, Michael, but like, that's the way you connect with people. And so as long as you keep it real, people are always going to listen and they're always going to learn something because they can relate to you. That's honestly what is most important to me about this podcast is just how real both Lara and I are. Like we are ourselves and we don't yeah. pretend to be anybody else. Like I'm a dude who used to host open mics. You know what I mean? I keep that very real. And Lara yeah. is an international human rights lawyer. So nice buttoned up <laughs> <laughs> profession. <Good team. laughs> yeah. 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 No, you um, have to keep it real. There's no other way. I mean, anything that you do that's disingenuous is not going to do well. And so it's proof of like the way that you guys have taken off, the way that our individual accounts have taken off. People people connect with realness and, and that's the only way to do it. So. And it's also just cool to have a space where like Jewish people and Palestinians can have fun without any like pressure yeah. or like you know, there's so much tension yeah. that exists. Yeah, without any Zionism. Yeah, yeah. With, with no Zionism. It'd be, be The world would be better with no Zionism, is what, what we're world? saying. That's the end of the Palestine <laughs> pod. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> See you never. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I think that's probably good, yeah. Yeah. Are you going to end on that note? I love it. Yeah, <laughs> for real. For, that was, yeah, that was a legit rap, yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much oh, for awesome. coming on the pod. Appreciate you. Appreciate all of the work that you're doing online mm-hmm. and just how well you represent Palestinians. And uh, mm-hmm. let us know about a brand deal. You know what I mean? Because we do love I got money. you. Love it. <laughs> all, right. Oh, all right, guys. Thank this you so much. This has been so much fun. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you much. And uh, let me know if you need anything. Folks, that's been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Go ahead and check out our full episodes and sources at www.palestinepod.com. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Go ahead and check out our Patreon. We've got a bunch of cool things cooking over there. www.patreon.com slash Palestine Pod. That's been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day. Drop the beat now.